This morning I want to talk with you about fine print. Fine print and reading the fine print. Fine print is one of those phrases in our society that kind of carries a negative connotation, doesn't it? The fine print. It's usually a, a reference to some exclusion to something, right? Like the fine print tells you why your issue is not going to be covered under the warranty, right? The fine print tells you why you're not getting your money back for the vacation you didn't take even though you bought the insurance, right? How many of you read all the fine print for the stuff you sign? Seriously? You read it all? I some you're not you're not lying in church. So if we weren't in church, How many of you read all the fine print? So even when you download an app and there's that terms of agreement and you say, before you click I agree, you read all 35 paragraphs? Come on, you guys. How many of you like me just go, yeah, whatever, click? Anybody? Going to be something when they show up for our firstborn children, right? And say, you said you agree. Some of you teenagers go, that'd be fine. Take him. Take him. Fine print. Bold print. I love the bold print of the Bible, the bold print of the New Testament, don't you? I love the bold print. Anybody get to John 3.16? The bold print. For God so what? Keep going. Nineteen different translations floating in the air. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I like the sounds of that. That's bold print. John 5, 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. That's bold print. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If any man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. That's bold print, right? I love the bold print of the New Testament. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love the bold print. But what about the fine print? What about the fine print? Jesus said in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The next verse is harder still. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will find it. 
That's fine print, right? That's fine print. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. The Bible makes a promise. It's probably not on any of your refrigerators. The promise is this. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Fine print. Fine print, right? Jesus said in the Beatitudes. You have to love the Beatitudes, right? Because Jesus said, blessed are the, blessed are the. Yeah, I want in on the blessing. How many of you want in on the blessing of God, right? And so we read through that, and here's how God wants to bless you. Here's how God's going to bless you. And then he gets to that last one. If only not for the last one, when he said, blessed are you, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed? What? That the path to blessing is riddled with persecution? I mean, words of Jesus, right? That there's purpose in persecution? That part of the blessing that God wants to squeeze into us involves persecution? I mean, those are his words. You can't escape them. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Man, we love to talk about the kingdom of God here at the Vineyard, right? We love to welcome the kingdom of God. We love to welcome the move of the Spirit. We call that the present manifestation of the kingdom of God. And that's a blessing, isn't it? Well, Jesus said, the road to that place includes persecution. That's part of the blessing. Fine print. A few years ago, I heard a, uh, nas- let me just say, a nationally known prosperity preacher. I will not say his name. A na- I heard him interviewed, and he was, as I listened to this interview, the interviewer was asking him about his emphasis on all the positive stuff in the Bible. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the interviewer said, but what about the other stuff Jesus said? What about, like when Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And the interviewer said, how come you don't talk about that? I'll never forget his answer. He said, well, who'd sign up for that? Who'd sign up for that? I want to tell you, beloved, that right now we share this planet with hundreds of millions of Christians who signed up for persecution, who knew what they were getting into when they got into it, who willingly and gladly faced peril, torture, all kinds of unspeakable things done to them because they love Christ. They, they signed up for it, knowing what they were signing up for. I'd like to show you a video of one man, believer in northern Laos, that signed up for persecution.
prison for telling others about Jesus. I don't know why they didn't shoot me. The interrogations are the only time I am out of solitary. I am losing hope and fear I have been forgotten. I recite Bible verses to myself, but the words are getting harder and harder to remember. I can handle the torture, the starvation, but I desperately need my Bible. Every day I pray over and over for God to give me a Bible. Now I have my chance. The interrogations have ended and the guards trust me to go into the jungle to gather firewood. Working as fast as I can, I will collect two days worth of firewood. I'll bring one bundle back and leave the second bundle in the woods. This is what I need to do. It is very risky, but God is answering my prayer. I will risk everything to have a Bible. to leave my wife, but I have to or she will be in danger. Leaving her is so hard. God has answered my prayer. I have a Bible. But I must be careful. They found my Bible. But I would not give up. I will bring in more Bibles. God's word every chance I get.
Jesus came. Letters from me. Letters from Christians all over the world. God not only answered my prayer for a Bible. He let me know I am not forgotten. เอาอ่านพึ่งพระคัมภีร์และพระเจ้านูนเรียมโอ้แล้วก็สู้สู้สู้สู้สู้อืมแล้วก็ขอบคุณพระเจ้าขอบคุณอนาพี่น้องทั
are the same places where the church is so vibrant, so powerful, so alive. One of the things that I try to do is I try to intentionally think about believers who are living in, under persecution, not as the persecuted church, as though they're like an agency, but that they're my brothers, and they're my sisters. They're my children, and they're my grandchildren. They're my flesh and blood in Christ. And that changes things inside of me and what I want to do next and what I'm willing to do. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The persecuted church isn't a club that meets in a building. The persecuted church is the representation of people just like you who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, a love for the Word of God, and yet are forbidden to practice that. There's a lot we can, we can do. There's a lot we can do. You know, some good reading for you would be some books that I put up. The two websites there on the bottom of that slide, persecution.org is the site for The Voice of the Martyrs, which is a long-standing ministry in support of persecuted believers around the world. Open Doors is another great ministry. These three books are simply examples. The DC Talk compiled the Jesus Freaks, and they even have a Jesus Freaks 2. It's compelling reading. You read the stories of people who are given their lives. Fox's Book of Martyrs over on the right was written by John Fox in 1536 or some 16th century. Just chronicling the price that people have gladly paid for the gospel and the power of it, the value of that. The book in the center is one that I recently read. I read it this summer. It was handed to me by one of our home group leaders, and she had just read it, and she said, Tom, I think you're going to want to read this. And, of course, my book of recommended books or stack is this high, and, you know, people always have a thought of what I should read, and I, I, I appreciate that. Um, but there was something about this one. It's called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. This is a true story. I read it in August, and I just, it got inside me. It got inside me. It, it's a book that'll just change so much. Nick Ripkin and his family were missionaries in Somalia. Somalia is the second most dangerous place on the earth to be a Christian, second only to North Korea. And he was a missionary during the 90s, during the time when we had a military occupation there. And he was part of a lot of bringing a lot of relief into the country for people, a lot of medical supplies and food and stuff. 
in the process of his eight years, if I remember the details of the story just right, he led four people to Christ. Four. They were secret, of course, Christians, because being a Christian could cost, will cost you your life in Somalia. After they had communion together, just the four of them, the five with the author, those four believers were assassinated for their faith. It's a compelling story. So after he finished eight years in Somalia, he devoted his life these last ten or so years to just traveling around the world into secret places, intense persecution places, to try to understand what's the power of persecution. Talks about pastors in China, pastors of little secret churches and And they weren't really considered pastors until they'd done at least a three-year term in prison for their faith. Talks about a pastor who was in prison and every day this same guard brought him his breakfast and it was a piece of toast. But he took it upon himself to spread feces on that piece of toast every day. Later on in the book, he says that pastor was then released from prison and still obviously secretly practicing his ministry. And there was a woman in his, in his gathering who said, I want you to come and pray for my son. He's sick. And he said, of course, I will secretly come and pray for your son. He's sick. He's going to die. And he came to pray for that son And it was the same guard who used to smear feces on his toast. And he prayed for him with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm enlisting some help this morning to help clarify this story. I think a lot of you know God is really doing something very cool with a number of our young adults in the church or basically our 20-somethings. and It's pretty cool. It's a sovereign move of God on them. Karen and I don't know how to do what God is doing. And I think you know that they meet in our living room on Friday nights and we have a big living room. We've made it so people could come and they pack it and they come early and they stay late. And God's doing cool stuff with those guys. This last Friday night, there was a healing right in the midst of us. And I just see in the lives of some of these young adults who are so faithful to this, I just see God working in them, and I see some stuff happening in them. Some of them, some of them are, are creeping up to the edge of following God in radical ways, and it's very cool. And I think we're going to hear some stories later on down the road from some of those young adults who followed God over that cliff. I love them all. There's one, 
One in particular, I've been talking with her for a couple of years off and on about God's stuff, and I've been just seeing the light come on in her. And, and so, I guess it was just a few months ago, she said, uh, you know, I'm just ready. I'm just ready to do something in my relationship with God. And I said, oh, well, I have a book for you then. And I warned her. I said, don't read this. I I think my words were, this will gut you. She said, I'm ready. And she read it. And we've had talks since then. And I love her perspective. So I'm going to ask Jamie Albert to come up here. Help me tell this story. Jamie is here partly under protest. And uh, when I asked her if she would preach this message, she said, oh, no. I said, well, would you be willing to come up on stage then and let us just have a conversation so you're not here? (laughs) I've known Jamie since she was eight. And I've seen God do some stuff in her. And I've seen her walk through a hard path. And I see what God's doing. And now you're reading stuff like this. And, you know, you read this book. You've been doing thinking about this. And I just want to ask you, Jamie, what are some of the things that you've taken away from this? Well, I've been smiling ever since, so that's a bad sign. <laughs> you um, have been smiling a lot. I think I was kind of overwhelmingly struck with two concepts. One is that these believers in other countries are so desperately hungry for God that he's the most important thing in every aspect of their life, that they are deeply hungry for that and they're desiring his move a very real experience with God. Um, And that's something that I can so easily toss aside with just the the weekly religion, just going through the paces. And it's so refreshing to see how important that is to people. Um, And second, I've just realized that persecution is a part of every Christian's walk with God, 100%. Growing up in the church, you, it's always the persecuted church, the martyrs. It's a separate sort of group of believers, but there's nothing that separates them from us. We are the same. We are all longing after the same God. And if we desire to walk with God, then we will face persecution. That's not a popular message today No. in the American church, and I just wonder how... What you've been reading and thinking and praying has impacted your thoughts about God, your thoughts about the church. Um, It's really made me see that God desires total dependency on him. Again, we're in an independent culture that says if we want something for our lives, we go out and get it ourselves and make that happen. But God says, you turn to me first. You can do nothing on your own. That we need him in the big things. We need him in the small things. He needs to be first, and then things will fall into place. 
One of the things that you said during one of our conversations was uh, that you have come to an awareness that there's an important relationship between persecution and joy. Can you elaborate on that? This is sort of the brilliancy of God that makes persecution possible, that makes walking through it possible, because we've accepted that every Christian will face it, that it's inevitable in the sinful world, but God has a coping mechanism in there that when we are reaching out to him through these hardships, we're seeking him with everything we have, he's going to give us joy because it's the desire of our hearts, it's the longing of our hearts to be in that community with him and that presence. And once we reach that, it's, it's joy. It's not a happiness that's fleeting. It is a deep satisfaction killing me here, you know. It's, yeah. it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> we were um, having a conversation out in my barn, and we were sitting there on two raggedy old couches that were not really fit for human consumption. <laughs> it was a Friday night, and we were sitting out there talking, and one of the things Jamie said to me that, or afterwards was she said she liked meeting with me in the barn on those two couches because she had the perspective that there's, you can only go up from there. <laughs> and I remember you, in the context of our conversation, Jamie, you, you said something I'll never forget. And you said, I'm, I, I'm, just, I'm just ready. And you kind of looked up and you said, bring it. Just bring it bad thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, with all this reading and thinking and praying about this stuff, what are some of the things that it has made you want to do? It's made me want to refocus my life and put God at the helm again mm-hmm. and just say anything you want me to do. I will walk through it knowing you're there knowing you have a plan for me knowing that when I get through it I will be better, stronger, and closer with God, which is kind of all we can hope for. (laughs) Well, Jamie, I I just couldn't be, I know we're not supposed to be proud Mm -hmm. because uh, that means we've taken credit for something, but I, I don't, but I just couldn't be more proud of you and where you are in your pursuit of God, and you're an inspiration to me, you're an inspiration to us this morning, and I think we should just pray for you. Give me your hands, would you? Thank you, Father. I'm just so grateful again for our sister. She's not a little girl anymore. She's a young woman. And you have touched her, Lord, in deep places. I think she could be Mama Heidi. I think she could. Uh, I think she could. And, but what happens next is up to you. And whatever happens next is great, Lord. But I just pray for her, Lord, for her courage and in sharing and her courage more in pursuing you and and offering you her whole life. We thank you for her and we pray that you will continue to touch her and guide her and all these young adults who are meeting at our house, Lord, would you just use them up all the same way? Would you just gap, just capture them this way and thank you for each and every one of them, Lord. Just pray your blessing out on them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Jamie. You might be sitting there going, how can you participate? How can you help? What can you do in the face of this true reality? I mean, here we are in Grove City. Nobody's going to jail tonight for being here, right? Nobody's going to be hurt. Nobody's going to be tortured. Nobody's going to be... Nothing's going to happen in that respect. So what can you do? And I'm going to offer some suggestions First, you can pray, right? You can pray. You can pray. Prayer matters. Prayer matters. Prayer matters. Pray. 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 I I am a little concerned right now at the very low participation in our prayer meetings here at the church. I don't want to make anybody try to feel guilty. You know, I don't do that. But I'm very concerned about that. Pray. What what would we pray for if we were praying for persecuted believers? Well, here's something very interesting. In all my reading and in the few that I've known in India and such, um, they never ask us to pray that the persecution will stop. Never ask for God just to make it all go away. I've never heard anybody say, pray for that. What I have heard them say is, pray for them that they will have the strength to bear witness to Jesus Christ in the face of every threat. You can pray for that. And the other thing you can pray for that they ask for is, would you pray that God will provide for my family? Because in the vast majority of cases, the person who is imprisoned for their faith is the breadwinner of the family in a typically already impoverished country. And they said, would you just pray that my wife, my children will have food? Which kind of leads us to the second thing. You can give your money. Money, we got lots of Americans. Those two agencies, ministries that I told you about, Voice of the Martyrs, which you get to by persecution.com, and Open Doors, which you get to by opendoors.usa.org, those are very reputable places for you to send money. And not only do they use that money to, to uh, continue to keep the awareness up in the church, they use this money underground. They're lawbreakers. They are lawbreakers. They'll, they'll carry this money behind all across these borders, underneath these borders, and they will provide Bibles and they will provide material support for the families of people who are in prison for their faith. You can do that. The third thing that you can do is you can love. And here's what I mean. I I just want to invite you to think about the faces of men and women and children 
who are your brothers and sisters in Christ and the peril in which they live because of where they live. And I, I just want to ask you to open your heart to them and, and to work really hard not to think of them as the persecuted church, but as persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ and let your heart feel something for them. And then I think also what I hear many persecuted believers say is they call us to, they're calling Americans and people in free places to live, live your life, live your faith out loud. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus where you are. Live it out loud. You know, they're forced to be secret believers. They're wondering why we're secret believers. Why there would be a secret believer in a free land? Why? How could they're wondering how can a person go to work and everybody not know that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of their life? And they're saying, "Live it out, tell the world." This is what we can do today. You know, I, I, I've read a lot of this stuff over the years, and I'm struck by so many of the stories. Some of you have noticed, by the way, that it's Communion Sunday, and you're not seeing communion stuff out. Yeah. We're going to have communion. I've been struck with so many stories about these brothers and sisters who live in these persecuted places and one of the things that is not in common is they often meet in the dark. They have to meet in the dark so as not to attract attention to themselves. They meet in the dark so, that, so as not to be seen. One of the compelling stories that I read of a group of believers in China is they, when they met, they would sit in a circle and to worship the Lord, they would mouth the words of the songs, but they didn't make the noise for, so as not to be heard. But I think by far one of the most compelling stories I have ever heard, and I, I, for the life of me, I couldn't remember exactly. I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he was in prison before he was hanged on April 9th, 1945 two weeks before the Allied forces came and liberated that concentration camp. I'm, I'm almost certain it was him who told the story that when the believers would secretly gather in prison and in order to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, they had no elements, so they didn't use any. But that they would just pass the regular plate around and as though the body of Christ were on there they would take it and they would pass it and then they would take a re the regular cup and there was nothing in it and they would pass it around the body of Christ the blood of Christ and they would hold it up close to their mouth and then they would pass it. I'd like to invite you to participate
in the Lord's Supper this morning as though you were part of an underground church. I've cleared out some space up here, and I would like to ask each and every one of you to come up. If you're a person who can't stand, we have some chairs, a few chairs, so if it's difficult for you to stand, please take one of the chairs, but I'd like the rest of you to come and to stand. Just come on. Just get as close as you can. You're going to have to violate all of the social norms about personal space. You, you won't all be able to get up here, but please come as close as you can. One body. If you need to kind of filter in behind those front rows of chairs so that we can get as close as we can as one body, please do it. This would be such a dangerous gathering of so many in one spot. It would be so dangerous. And Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Perry, I want you to begin passing that plate around, and when it comes near you, I just want you to take the body of Christ and put it up into your mouth and pass the plate, and just keep passing the plate. The plate isn't going to get to everybody. But at some point, I'd just like for you to envision a plate and just take the body of Christ. And Jesus said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Send that, that one that way, okay? Another one of the marks of persecuted believers in their gatherings is that their songs tend to be very simple. Very simple because they can't have books. There's no projector. They can't have a record. They're just very simple and they're often expressions of their intention. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep telling. And this is an expression very typical of persecuted believers. See if you can, this is so simple, you could catch on so fast. And I will believe. I will believe. I will believe. I will believe. The power of the Holy Spirit fall on you. Word of God dwell in you richly. Might the love of the Father just define you. The vibrant witness of your relationship with Jesus just spill out of you wherever you go this week. As you walk out a risky walk this week. For God's maximum glory, in Jesus' name, amen.